Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters and scholarship counts. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? That's a, mimicking that guitar in our song there. <laughs> How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Yeah, did you... Uh, now, Baruch Hashem. Did you... Yeah, Baruch Hashem. Now, let me ask you this. We, today is July 6th, 2016. It is. is. When this is airing, which means we just had a 4th of July. Now, did you go out to the cabin? Independence Day, yes. Now, for those who might not know, Mr. Van Hoff has uh, a, a cabin that's been in the family... Well, Parents have a cabin. Yeah, but uh, that's what I mean. It's it's part of the family. It's part of the f- family heirlooms that you will hopefully receive at some point in your life. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> got a lot of siblings. Got so, a lot of... <laughs> but, but did you did you did you go out? Anyway, the, did you yeah, go out to the uh, cabin? Sunday night? We Sunday night we went out to the lake. We went and because uh, usually there they'll do it like on a the, the night of the third. I was thinking about this. Like, man, they're reckoning the day like. Biblically, like, <laughs> like they wait till sundown, like 10 p.m. on the third, and that's when they do the fireworks. So we we took a boat to where we've gone for years, and it was like lame. We're like, man, this is just lame. This is like we could have stayed back and watched the neighbors' fireworks, you know. So we we left that place, and then we in the distance we saw this amazing. We're driving down the boat, uh, so it's like 10:30 at night, so it's all black. For those for those who don't know, this is in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go, we we come around a bay, this corner, and we see in the far distance this amazing, like, uh, amazing uh, fireworks display. And so we're like, we're just driving to, we'll just go towards it, right? So we're going towards it, and it is nonstop amazing. My brother was driving. He's like. He's like, dude, we've been driving for 17 straight minutes, and there has not even been a break. And it's like, well, like, we hope that it's still going when we get there. And we get there, we stop, and we're just—they have a barge out in the water. And this not this is not up at the at the very northernmost point of the lake is where the town of Coeur d'Alene is. This is further south, but they have a barge out in the lake, and they're just shooting these amazing. It was like over a half hour of straight, solid, like insane fireworks that we were just and we had all like my nieces and nephews and, and we just had the boat packed with with people and we're just all going no way yay <laughs> and then i was like yeah we got to tell them we got to ask them are you guys going to spend this much money next year because we don't want to waste our time driving up here <laughs> if you guys aren't going to spend the money. <laughs> nice anyway it was fun how about you 
Yeah, we well, okay, so we got uh, quite the weekend uh, that goes, quite the week that goes on around the 4th of July. So the 4th of July is not only the 4th of July, it's my birthday. Right. And then the 9th of July is my daughter's birthday. So this will be the first, this coming 9th will be the fir- her f- first birthday. And then the 10th is my wife and my anniversary, our, our wedding anniversary. So it's like, what do we do to try to pack it all in? And uh, so this year we decided to try to pack the 4th of July, my birthday, and my daughter's birthday all into the same day. So we had a that's, couple of, yeah, it was, yeah, we had a couple. That's reason for fireworks, uh, lots of fireworks. Well, we didn't do any fireworks. We figured everyone around us would, uh, you know, would, would, would help us out with that. But we enjoyed uh, barbecue and, uh, you know, uh, for some reason everybody decided to bring me six packs of beer. So our fridge is just like full of beer now and I don't know what to do with it. You know, this, we, this year on the 4th was the first time we didn't sit around, we'll, we'll sit out on the deck and like one of us will read the Declaration of Independence. Oh, yeah, nice. And uh, this year we didn't do that. So uh, my, my sister was like, we didn't do it. And I'm like, I know, man. My son, had, you know, he's three. And, uh, dude, he comes up with some of the funniest stuff. Yesterday my, my wife said something to him and he was like, <laughs> just totally, ra- he had a cape on. And randomly he said, don't you know, Alfred, that I am the shadow. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, so I asked him if he knew what the what the – what our national anthem was. And he said, no. So at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, we went outside and there was fireworks going on all around our house. And so we just listened to various acapella versions of the, the oh. national anthem. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good I was time. thinking you should get your bass out there, run it through some effect pedals. <laughs> yes. Do it, do a Hendrix Woodstocky thing, uh, except uh, with, uh, with electric cello, electric cello. Uh, you know, actually, uh, Believe it or not, <laughs> believe it or not, Rob, I've done that on numerous occasions. In fact, I started the the uh, Tacoma Movable Feast one year with the uh, Jimi Hendrix version uh, on electric cello of the national anthem. Yes. There you go. Yes. Got the effect and everything. Anyway, not the point. Okay, so let's move on to other things. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, Rob. I was a little bit disappointed to see this. I don't know much. Well, let me open this up real quick. The past week, maybe it was a week and a half ago, we had the uh, podcast awards. Oh. And guess what? Hmm. We were not even on the list. <laughs> Here's the thing. It costs $10. You have to have more than 36 listeners. Y'all, that's just it. Is that you, have to have, you, have to have, uh, you have to pay 10 bucks to even be noticed as a, you know, like to register. As with these people. And I was like, well, we're only going to get 36 votes. And it's like people's choice. But I got to tell you, I started looking at some of the past winners, too. Uh, by the way, the, the link is in your show notes for anybody who'd like to check it out. Um, and uh, I've never heard of any of these. And Alpha and Omega Ministries has never won. I just got distracted by something. Of course you did. The, on the Babylon Bee, because this is good for, for the 4th of July. Inspired by patriotic church service, man, to study all biblical passages about America. America, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> oh, my. I got to turn that website off. <laughs> okay. Dude, that website's hilarious. So, yeah, podcast uh, awards. We, the, You know what? The 2016 award for religion and spirituality was... Oh no, Ross and Carrie. Has anyone ever? I've never heard of that. Right. 
They, there's one called the Robcast. Rob, you got. It sounds like you got some uh, some competition that's my, that's here, man. I'm trying to keep you guys in the dark on that one. Yeah, I looked at past winners too. Hang on, just a sec. Past winners. Let's go down here to religion and religion inspiration. Daily breakfast has won like more times than anyone else. I don't even know what that is. And Catholic Insider. Did you? Did you I can't believe Mormon Faircast. There's a bunch of Mormon podcasts. Yeah. Anyway, well, maybe next year. Maybe next year we'll uh, we'll submit ourselves and allow ourselves to get 36 votes. <laughs> uh, all right. So, how's it going? Besides that, how's everything else? It's, we haven't. We haven't it played feels any like sound there's effects. just a, yeah. Let's hear some sound effects. <laughs> <clears throat> we need a sound effect for like the earth shaking. Oh, why like is that? Like earth shaking and the heavens. Because he says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Oh, yeah. And only that, which is true, is going to remain standing. And uh, I want to be that. I want to be, I want to have uh, built on that foundation of Yeshua. I don't want to build with twigs and stuff that's going to burn. No and doubt. I want, I want to build with stuff that's going to last, like gold. And silver. All right, so we're, you know, the the person accused us that one time of playing with our sound effects for the fi- first five minutes. It's been nine it, minutes and 29 seconds we've been on the air, but I feel like we need a sound effect. So let's yeah, play we, a song. Let's play a song. Here we go. How rude. Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain. Stupid and incredibly self-centered. Okay, let's go on to bigger and better things. That's one then. of my favorite clips. That is, that is my favorite clip. <laughs> uh, that's definitely my favorite. Okay, let's go on then. Last week we talked about James White. Well, we've been talking about James White a lot recently, and I think the reason why is because we're, uh, you know, we're talking about Reformed theology, and there's uh, real, you know, I think in our corner we have one of the greater uh, debaters of, of our modern time, and that would be James White. I mean, he slaughters in the ring, doesn't he? Even against, like, my, Dr. Michael Brown, I, you know, watching his debates with Dr. Michael Brown, who is a seasoned debater, by the way, I feel like James White just comes out on top. Anyway, so last week we talked about this uh, – this article that was put out, this person, uh, J.D. Hall, put out an article basically uh, saying that James White was part of this uh, this church fundraising thing uh, at ReformCon, where it, it, the article, which I read, by the way, makes it sound like, uh, you know, they were, they basically had like a beer social where you could come in, drink a couple of beers, and then get tattooed, ta- get tattooed for the Lord, and then... Uh, you know, and then all the money that you know you would pay to get for the tattoo and the beer would go towards sending these people to Hawaii to, to do a church plant. That's what the article made it sound like. Uh, now I knew that Dr. White would, of course, I, I it said in I think it said it somewhere in the article that uh, that James White was planning on re, uh, responding or something like that. I I don't know. Anyway, uh, so I knew that <laughs> Dr. White was going to drop the hammer, which he did. And uh, so there's always two sides of a story. And this is – now, I 
I took about five minutes. I cut it down to two minutes and 23 seconds. And this still is just his opening, just his opening. And he went on for quite some time. Thank you, by the way, to Andre for sending me this clip and for alerting me to the written response that he gave uh, on his website, on his blog site, which is in your show notes. If anyone would like to go ahead and read the whole thing, it is quite long. I, you know, once the article came out, uh, there were just so many factual problems with it. First of all, and, and of course, J.D. has just run with what Christian News said. It is so slanted. It is yellow journalism. And he, he, he complains. He didn't, say, he didn't say me. It's yellow journalism. It is a hit piece. It has a particular agenda. It makes no pretense to fairness. Where's the interview with Jeff Durbin? Hmm? Where's the interview with anybody who was there? Where's the accuracy in representing what was, is actually being done with the Kauai Church plan? It's not there, and you know it. I call that yellow journalism. It's a hit piece. Nothing but a hit piece. Okay? Now, let's put some other facts on the table. Um, there was, there is a conflation going on between one thing that was offered, again, as a fundraiser at ReformCon, and something that took place weeks later that was not advertised, there was a tattoo artist who goes to the church, who wants to go to Kauai. And what's happening, and the sad thing is, my daughter wrote about all this, everybody in the church is going, well, what can I do? And so kids are going out, and they're doing bake sales, and, and they had tables out at ReformCon where you could buy stuff. And, and what's all of it for? To raise funds for the church plant. And here is a guy, and he let a few people know, uh, hey, I, I'd be willing to do this. There was no advertising. It wasn't like people walking down the streets going, hey, come to our church. We're a tattoo parlor now or something like that. <laughs> and that was three weeks separate or two weeks separate, from ReformCon. If you read anything that J.D. Hall is saying, anything Christian News is saying, you would think there are people standing around, uh, going out, and trying to get people in to drink beer and get tattoos. That's what, that's what and, and what's sad is, it, you watch this, Christian News puts it out, and now all these other sources are grabbing it and putting their own twist on it, and it's all based upon looking at Marcus Pittman's Facebook page. Pluck out. And, of course, uh, Dr. White brings the hammer. Now, I knew there was going to be more to it. However, that's not what I was trying to – so I wasn't trying to accuse anyone last last week when we talked about this. What I was really trying to do was the idea of, you know, are those kind of things that are almost – I mean, they're almost – what would you say? Almost gray areas. You know, there's nothing sinful about drinking b- beer per se, right? Now, I know that we we might have some people who listen who would say, no, no, it is a sin to drink alcohol. But this, that, that's why I would consider it a gray area. I don't think that there's anything wrong with drinking alcohol. I think there's something wrong with drinking too much alcohol um, and on a regular basis, right? We know that it's a sin to be a drunkard. But, you know, once again, is this the kind of thing that you would do as a, is, is a fundraiser? Now, let's take Dr. White and, and this whole situation out of it. That's what I was trying to get to. Uh, you know, or something like a tattoo. It could certainly be argued that now Judaism obviously would say that uh, tattoos are forbidden by the Torah. Uh, however, I've heard others argue that uh, that tattoos are only forbidden if they're done in correlation to the de- the dead, somebody who's who's passed on. 
So, I mean, there are arguments. You know what I mean? There, there maybe could be considered a gray area. Sure. Anyway. So, uh, I think that uh, Dr. White cleared it up perfectly. And, by the way, I would simply, you know, I, I know it's probably not normal protocol to recommend people listen to other people's podcasts. But if you're looking for a good podcast, uh, then certainly Alpha and Omega Ministries and, and Dr. James White's podcast is probably one of the best that there is out there. He uh, he really touches on a lot of good issues and is always always on the cutting edge. So I recommend it to you. You can find it, I don't know, find it online somewhere. Put an Alpha and Omega into uh, iTunes. It'll pop right up. Um, so yeah, let's move on then. We have been looking at, now I guess we'll just go right into it, right? We're on, uh, L. We are on L. Which As is, we tiptoe through the tulip. Yes. Limited atonement. <laughs> tiptoe through the tulip. Yeah. So limited atonement is where you get the L for tulip, the L in tulip. Uh, it's also perhaps better known as particular redemption right um so let's go ahead and just read i know we've read that i think we read this two weeks ago but we'll read it again maybe three weeks ago this the, is a the, t- this is a tough one for people to get our uh, to get our brains around yes yeah this is a difficult one I mean, it's a it, it's one because it is it goes against what i think that at least the way our times are now the world I live in goes against this idea of fairness. Doesn't you mean God doesn't just love everybody and everybody's going to be saved, or that that you mean God somehow that there's people that just aren't going to be saved, and that God knew that. That's that, and then that is difficult. It's a. It's this idea. Well, yeah. It, for some reason, I think that people have this idea of fairness in their mind that uh that we as humans somehow deserve something in other words <clears throat> the idea that we as you know we've talked about depravity right and actually it's interesting on sunday uh last sunday i went to a, a baptist church here in a different baptist church than before went to a baptist church here in in uh tacoma and i was i was interested uh because of their First of all, the name of the church is Grace Baptist, and that's the name of the church down in Santa Clarita that my uncle is a uh, pastor at, uh, Grace Baptist. Now, they have no affiliation whatsoever, but on their website, the, the church here in town, on the website, it basically said, you know, it was kind of this lovey-dovey, like, we accept all people, you know, we're welcoming to everyone. And I thought, well, that's not very Baptist of you. Um, so well, I you decided, be, if it says open and affirming, we and we'll have those in Spokane. Like if it's a maybe like a Methodist or where they where they mean is you know we don't care we we will affirm your right to have your own sexual orientation and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I was getting from them. But then I got there. <clears throat> pardon me, my allergies are killing me. By the way, today. So those who are watching the video, if I keep touching my nose, it's because my nose is all itchy and I. Yeah, I got the coughs. Anyway, so I get there. It's it was there was two children in the whole church. Were maybe, were, yeah, maybe thirty people, thirty five people, 
in the church, and I would say that most of them were over the age of 60, which there's no problem with that. But I was surprised because it seemed like they were very open, you know, to lifestyles on their website. But then I get there, and it seemed like they were all older Baptist folk. Anyway, so this pastor gets up uh, to to give his message, and I could not figure out where the guy was coming from. He was talking about how we all have free will. And then he started to talk about the fall. But then he started to basically say that God loves everyone. So, I mean, he was it was like this universalist, uh, Arminian. It was just so weird. It, it, it was. It was really weird. And I just kept thinking, what is this guy talking? Like, I know he went to seminary because he introduced himself to me. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, nice to have you here, brother. You know, and like all this kind of stuff. And then he, we talked a little bit about where he went to seminary and, that, you know, so I didn't recognize the name of the seminary, but it, it, neither here nor there. I thought to myself, this man is theologically trained, yet it seems like he has never, it seems like he's trying to play both sides of the cards. Like, oh, I'm an Arminian universalist Calvinist. Like, it's, I don't a, AB, think, it's a new brand, ABC, the Arminian right. Baptist Calvinist. Exactly. The ABCs. Okay. Anyway. I don't know why I told that story. But, oh, well, yes, I do. Because, you know, we've talked about total depravity. And this pastor said that if you if you hear words like total depravity, it means the person doesn't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is about love, not hate. Haters going to hate. No, but here's the here's the issue with with uh, with the fall of man with with uh, and we've talked about you know original sin and the fall of man and all these kind of things, and with the fall of man, everyone is guilty, right? Let's even take it into the Arminian perspective. People who hold to Arminian theology are going to say that uh, that basically everyone's going to sin at one point, right? So I think this is how you would have uh, children not going to hell, is they haven't sinned yet up until, like, a t- the time of accountability is something that we hear from Arminian theology, which would be, like, six, seven years old, right? It's this time of accountability, when a, when a child can finally come into understanding of God and have a personal when, relationship. When they can sit down and have all the facts in front of them and make a decision. It's dishes and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they can choose. So, so okay, but even then... Let's let's say that uh, let's take that theology for a second, which I totally reject. But let's take that theology for a second. If a person who is seven or older has done one sin, it's an infinite sin, and we've talked about this. This is the plain gospel. I don't understand. You know, this this everyone knows this. I would assume, but maybe they don't. If one sin is cannot be in the presence of, or it affects the holiness of God. If it's if God is infinitely holy, any unholiness cannot dwell with him. And this is the gospel story, right? Yeshua bringing us back into total holiness, paying the price. Yeah, it's not like a new infant like has the potential to just live forever if they never sin. That's not but, that's not but, what the situation is. But my point is is that one sin, let's take original sin out of it. Because I think original sin is that one sin, right? That marks every every single person. But one sin is infinite. And therefore, anyone who sinned one sin deserves what God's rejection completely. Didn't right? James say, you know, you do one, you've you've broken the Torah. And now that's just that's just it. 
Yeah. Guilty of all. Yeah, and that day they shall surely die, right? You with me? I'm with you. Okay. So today so, we're at L. Limited atonement, particular redemption. Yeah, okay. But Some people but, prefer particular redemption because it's focusing on somehow particular redemption sounds has a better ring to it than limited atonement. Limited atonement makes it sound like, yeah, but we're excluding a bunch of people. Particular redemption means, oh, you mean people are actually chosen and redeemed. Does that make sense? Yeah, and this uh, we've talked about this too, is that uh, it's in John 6, right, where he talks about uh, us being a gift. We're a gift. to So God basically took a, a handful of, of humankind and said to Yeshua, here, here you go. This is a gift to you. I told some. I gave this analogy to somebody the other day. You got this. You got. Have you ever seen like those antique hunters? You ever seen one of those shows? Like one of the antique. Oh, oh, oh like a uh, road show or a, antique road show. Yeah, yeah. And they okay. bring in like a, a painting, and the guy like expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. So. so, so, but, but what I'm talking about is like you know the guys who go to somebody's house and they're digging around in like the garage, right? The old falling down barn or whatnot, and they find this canvas that's over over this frame of a car and they're like, Oh my word, it's a 19, whatever, 57 Ferrari. There was only 10 made or, you know, whatever, but it's totally rusted and it's totally disgusting. And the guts are totally gone. The thing will never run again. Or so you think. So we're like that car. And God says to Yeshua, look, you can have the car, get it off my property. It's yours. If you want it. But you got to pay for it to be to run. So Yeshua calls up his buddy, the Holy Spirit, and says, "Hey, go get that car and bring it to me at the shop." The Holy Spirit brings us to Yeshua. Yeshua pays the price to make that car totally pristine once again and run once again. That's how I mean. That's how I understand salvation. Right? We didn't do anything. We didn't start the car up and, and move ourselves to Yeshua. I was an old rusty car in a collecting this dust. Is a, this is a country song waiting to happen. Collecting dust in the backfield. The backfield <laughs> of. Uh, oh no! What has happened to this show? Okay, uh, let's go for it. Uh, and this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up at the last day. John six thirty nine. Oh, so so start in thirty six. Start in 36 and go through 40. Oh, do you want me to, oh, you want me to read some more? Yeah, start, 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 start in 36 and go through 40. I'll read scripture if you want me to. John yeah, 6, 36. I'm reading from the ESV. Yeah, but I it. said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. This is that word pas. This is uh, our, our friend from Greek. And we're going to talk about this word when we get into the passage from Hebrews and... First Timothy, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whom, or whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Plakau. So basically, John six thirty six through forty. 
So in 36, we hear that we hear that God has given Yeshua a gift. In 37, we hear... Psalm 2, you know, I will give you the nations for your inheritance, remember? Yeah, but then, but, but then in, but then in 37, we learn that it's an elect of people. It's a specific elect of people. There we go. Adam just posted a picture of a 1957 Ferrari. Very nice. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Restored. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. So basically, that John passage, the John six passage, passage. The reason I wanted to talk about that for a few seconds was because I I believe that that uh, all is lost ex- except for when the when the Almighty wants to. Basically, the Almighty gives uh, the elect as a gift to Yeshua, and Yeshua that we are the that gift to Yeshua is the re, is those who He's redeemed. I've heard people say, "Well, you." No one can pluck someone out of Yeshua's hand but themselves. They can like jump the, out. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what I've Have heard. Have you heard that before? Yes. I think that's a ridiculous analogy because I, I think if you're looking at the Greek syntax and, and just what Yeshua is well, saying well, in general yeah. there, that, that's yeah, I not— it. it was like I, I'm— I, I shouldn't I, say— I, I should. I, go I back should. to the marriage relationship, just in terms of earthly terms. Imagine a spouse who says to their— their spouse. <laughs> I could leave anytime I want. You know, I know that I know that I we're we're married and everything, but I just want I just want to assert my right that I can leave anytime. I mean that's if if that kind of language is creeping in there, then we need to, you know, realign. I shouldn't I shouldn't say that that that, that uh, analogy is ridiculous because I know a lot of good friends of mine who use that analogy quite often. I just don't Maybe a better way to say it would be, I don't think that that analogy holds weight when looking at the context of what Yeshua is saying. It seems like what Yeshua is saying, to me at least, and in that passage, I think what he's saying is, it's, uh, is that I, it's given to me, I will not lose it. So, so the, the givenness means it's particular. Yes. In other words, that it's, and, and we use the word elect, chosen, selected. Right, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about it's a gift. So the word "all" is there, but he says, "I will not, I will not lose any of them, and I will raise them up on the last day." Um, this is just one passage, of course. Okay, hang on, just a sec. So let's read out of that. So we've been defining the different, the two different sides of of the argument from this book, the Five Points of Calvinism. Defined, defended, and documented. Now I have the expanded version, which is by Steele, Thomas, and Quinn. I believe Quinn uh, was the addition in the uh, expanded version. This is what they say. So originally, the Arminians wrote to uh, the what? Well, it was the Council of Dort that re- refuted it. They wrote to the government, I guess. Uh, they said, uh, this is what they said about their belief. This is number three. Christ's redeeming work made it possible for everyone to be saved, but did not actually secure the salvation of anyone. Although Christ died for all men and for every man, only those who believe in him are saved. His death enabled God to pardon sinners on the condition that they believe, but it did not actually put away one's sins. Christ's redemption because, uh, becomes effective only if man chooses to accept it. There's another huge problem I see with this before we read the the response from the Council of Dort. Another big problem that I see with this is that 
man now is responsible for salvation. It, it is based on a work that he does. Right? Now, I've said that to, my, uh, to many of my Arminian friends before, and they, it's like they don't quite understand what I'm saying. Um, and maybe, I, maybe I'm not putting it correctly, but it seems to me that if I have to do something, if I have to do something to be saved, then it's based on me, and it's based on a work that I do. That's salvation by works in my mind, isn't it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's why I learned one of the things that I like when your dad talks to hear him talk about is uh, unpacking the three um, metaphors from the scriptures that are used for talking about our life in Messiah. It's new birth, right? Birth is something that happens to you, right? You You don't choose. New creation, being a new creation, right? Resurrection, right? Those are all things that happen. We can't affect our own resurrection. We can't affect our own birth. We can't affect our own new creation. This is something that happens to us by God's grace, that that he, in the picture of, of Yeshua calling Lazarus out of the grave, is like this a beautiful Yeah, get up and there. walk, dude. Come out of yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny, I was uh, reading, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot about early Hasidism, you know, in the 17, 1800s. And there's a legend of a pre-Hasidic Kabbalist. So he lived, I think, like late 1600s, early 1700s. And he, he, the lore was that he could, he, he was so, and he's one of the Baal Shem, right? So he's a Baal Shem. So he would create amulets and things like that to protect women in childbirth or um, to make sure they would have, have a son, you know, these kinds of things. But one of the things was, the uh, legend is that he brought a guy back from the dead just so he could sign, like, divorce papers or, or, <laughs> or, or give his wife a get or something. <laughs> Because I mean, that's I'll show you. I don't care that you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) But so I mean, you know, and it's just, and people latch onto that kind of thing, and they believe the lore, you know, the 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 magical lore. Don't you think people would say that about us, though, that we believe the magical lore of Yeshua raising from the dead? Yeah, they're going to make the same claim. Yeah. So, okay. And before we go on, let's read now. I know that this, yeah, we've already done this, but let's let's read the the Council of Dort's response to the Armenians who brought forth their objections. Uh, okay, and here's what the Council of Dort said: Christ's redeeming work was intended to save the elect only, and actually secure salvation for them. His death was a substitutionary endurance of the penalty of sin in the place of certain uh, specified sinners. In addition to putting away the sins of his people, Christ's redemption secured everything necessary for their salvation, including faith, which unites them to him. The gift of faith is infallibly applied by the Spirit to all for whom Christ died, thereby guaranteeing salvation. Their salvation. Um, Okay, so... um, Now, there are some, some passages of Scripture, and we've talked about these very shortly... Uh, there's some passages of Scripture that uh, that inevitably come up to refute what the Council of Dort has put. Uh, 
So, and hang on just a sec. So, uh, Robert is bringing up a good point. So he says, so by definition, I think this is in response to what I said about uh, about if it's up to us, then isn't it a work? He says, so by your definition, a work is any decision we make. Making a decision to accept Messiah and believe isn't salvation by works by the definition of anyone I know. So if I say that we do no work on the Sabbath, does that include making any decision or am I taking this in too far? So I guess what I'm trying to say, and good question. Thank you for, for that, Robert. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that it seems that from the, the way that I'm understanding the Arminian perspective of salvation is that salvation rests upon us. We have to. We have. The salvation to is an offer that that a person can accept or reject on their own terms. We, yeah, we basically the way that I understand it is that we are responsible for our own salvation. If it isn't for us, then we won't have salvation. The, the idea of purchase, if Yeshua, re, a redemption, purchase, um, we were slaves, you know, these, this kind of language doesn't permit any space where I'm sitting at a table and, and it's just all the facts are put out before me and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debate and, um, you know, evaluate, rationalize, and then just make a decision. That, the Bible doesn't give us that as a picture. In, in my view. That's a good question, though, Robert. And actually, this is something that I think uh, we could talk about more because uh, I, I, I don't necessarily think that uh, what I'm saying is what the Arminians believe because obviously I don't think that that would work within Arminian, sal- with, uh, like within Arminian theology. So I, I think there's a disconnect between what I'm understanding and what the Arminian mindset is understanding. Do you understand what I'm saying now? Like, it, I don't think... I'm con- I think what's going on is that I'm confused, like I've confused something, and so I'm not quite understanding it. And that's, that's my own bad. It's not, I'm not pu- putting that on people who believe in Arminian theology. I'm saying that of myself, that I, that I don't I, – I haven't quite grasped, I don't think. Um, but as coming from someone who used to believe in free will and, and that I, you know, <laughs> believe that. <laughs> I used to believe that. <laughs> So well, and and the picture, maybe and, I was, and, you know, maybe I wasn't, maybe I wasn't lined up 100% with Armenian theologies. Well, I guess aren't we saying. contrasting two things? We're contrast under L, limited atonement, we're contrasting this idea that Jesus didn't die for everybody. Yes. That's, that's what, that's the limited atonement, limited atonement the redemption. Yeah. And we're contrasting that with Jesus died as an offer of salvation, salvation to everybody. And grace to, and, and then yeah, it, to, uh, an individual yeah. people can take it or leave it, um, and it's up to them. That's, yes. that's what it seems to me that we're contrasting. Yes. Yeah, that is what we're and, contrasting. And if we take the latter view, that Jesus died and his blood is, uh, not to lessen the, the precious of his blood, but that it's, so to speak, on the shelf, that someone can come, take it off the shelf, or put it back as they choose, the center of, of uh, authority is now in the human person, the individual human person who, and their, quote, free will to either take or, or say no thank you. Um, and I, uh, I, I'm, I mean, these scriptures seem to me to 
to point to the limited atonement picture, the particular redemption, where it, it's an actual purchase. I was per- I was a, I'm a slave, and I was owned by a certain master, and someone came and purchased me from that situation. It wasn't uh, an offer. It was a transaction that was above my head. You know, I didn't have any say in the matter. And then subsequent to that, then, is the bearing fruit according to that new life. And that's sure. what we call the sanctification. So the sure. righteousness, righteousness is the purchase. I was a slave to sin. I'm now purchased and owned by a new master who is Yeshua, risen from the dead. And I am reckoned as being part of him. And my status is one of forgiveness and shalom with God. Now, but I still have the old man, right? And so sanctification now is what begins. And I can now, as a person who's being sanctified and being discipled um, by Yeshua through the Holy Spirit, I could look back and go, oh, well, I could see it looks to me like, oh, the day that that person came over and told me about Yeshua, and I said, you know, I looked at it, and I'm like, you know what? I believe this. And it feels like it's my decision. So... I want to bring up uh, what Gary has just said in the chat room, because this is an, this is an interesting point as well. Uh, he says, the real question in L is that if he paid for the sin, if he, paid, if he paid for a sin, can that sin in God's justice be punished more than once? If the sin is actually paid for, that is by Yeshua on the cross, that is everyone's sin has been paid for, that is, then that's where the rub is. Basically, and there's no Yeshua, punishment for anybody. Right. Yeah. Then I. So I think what Gary's saying is uh, is that basically what we'd we'd have is a universalism doctrine if 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 God paid for everyone's sin because I guess what the what his uh, what he's trying to say is if Yeshua came and he died on the cross for everybody's sin so now my sin's paid for by Yeshua all I have to do is accept it but it's already been paid for so if if God punishes me for it now I think that there's going to be there's going to be uh, no, okay, wait, 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 wait. Can, on this note, I think this is what, what I'm hearing from Gary's point, is if Jesus died for Johnny B. Good's sin, but Johnny B. Good rejected the gospel, what happens to Johnny B. Good after he dies? Is that a possible scenario where, where Christ died for Johnny B. Good, but Johnny B. Good rejected the gospel? What happens to his sin? Was his sin paid for or not? I think. Well, okay. Now let me take devil's advocate. Isn't that advocate. what Gary's getting at? That is. That is exactly. I think that's exactly what Gary is saying, and I could be wrong, but I. I think that's what Gary is saying. But uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second, because I would say that uh, it, it, uh, the payment for sin is conditional, according to Arminian theology, and according to those who would uphold free will. Uh, right. I mean, so I used to argue that it was it was conditional. In other words. Uh, uh, it's like uh, it's like in a will. I will all of my assets to you as long as you, oh, conditional, get, get married first. You know, you have to get married, and then everything's given to you. And you have I think to li- make it to your twenty first birthday without any money, and then you're going to be a billionaire. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so, and so, uh, the way that I used to think about it within Armenian theology was that uh, Yeshua's uh, death on the cross was payment for sin on condition that you accept. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think that's how the Arminian theology. Okay. Theologians okay. Would okay. Get so it's that. potential. 
Yes. So in other words, so the, the price of, of Messiah's blood then is variable. It could be this big, but if people reject it, it it's, all, it's, not, it's only as big as those who accept it. When people reject it, it lessens the, the, its value, right? So I, because I, it's ineffective in those. In those and uh, and it, looks, it looks like Robert is, is uh, basically saying what I think, he's, I think he's backing what I just said. So he says, if you reject the gift, you don't get it. You can't force the gift upon me. Is what, is so what then, were your sin, were then were your sins paid for? The person who rejected the gift. So the, so the payment doesn't happen until? Yeah, and, and I think it would be the same as if, like, okay, somebody uh, rolls down the, uh, the road in a car. By the way, the chat room is just <laughs> ablaze right now. Um, it's, it's hard to keep up with everybody, so I'll, we'll just have to not. But it, I think the way that we would think about it is if you go down the, the street in a, in a truck and you just shovel out bricks of money, right? Well, all that money's in the front yard for me to go get if I want. And all my neighbors are running out to grab it. Now, if I don't go get it, I don't then I don't have the money. Okay, but let's say but let's say there's there's no more money left. Let's say it's all grabbed and then someone gets there from China and they're like, "Oh, I heard there was money and I wanted some and oh, it's all gone." See, but that's just it is that, you know, the way that I would think of Arminian theology at this point, it's hard to, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. It's not hard to, uh, to, to hypothesize this because I used to believe it. So uh, the way that I, I think that would be explained is, is that that truck throwing out the money has somebody, every single bundle of money has a person's name on it. There's one for Caleb in the front yard. There's one for Rob in the front yard. There's one for, you know, Gary and Robert in the front yard. Now you can go pick up your bundle of money if you want to. But you don't have to. So did did Yeshua pay that price? Did he give the money? Did he throw the money out of the truck? The answer is yes. But according to Arminian theology, the way I would, or maybe we should, you know, maybe maybe Robert's right. He said he's he, you know, he doesn't call himself an Arminian, uh, and and maybe that's that's fair. We shouldn't maybe put labels on it because we don't like labels ourselves. So when we talk about a free will model, I guess is what maybe what we should say. When we talk about a free will model, the, then there is, uh, you know, the person has to go get the money. They have to accept the gift to be able to uh, receive the benefits. That's when payment would be affected. And we see this even when, okay, now, now let's switch over to uh, more of a uh, doctrines of grace. We see this within doctrine, the doctrines of grace as well, right? Before, before Christ brought me to himself, according to the doctrines of grace, before the Spirit turned me to him, and before... Uh, before I was washed clean by the blood of the Messiah through the uh, through you know th- through belief in the Messiah Yeshua, was I saved? And we know that Yeshua died for the elect before the foundations of the world. The scriptures clearly teach that, and I don't think that even uh, you know I don't even uh, those who believe in free will wouldn't wouldn't disagree with that. You know, the scripture is plain about that. But at some point, there's some point where it is effective for each individual. Even within, even with uh, in the doctrines of grace, even within so-called Calvinistic theology. Okay, we've we've gone way off topic. I mean, we we're not off topic. We're on topic. But let's look at a couple of these passages now. I'm going to full disclosure here. What I did was I put ver- into a Google search. I put verses that refute limited atonement, <laughs> and these are the three verses that everybody kept referencing: Hebrews two nine, First Timothy four ten, Second Peter three nine. So, uh, you want to talk about Hebrews 2.9, correct? I have one clip from Dr. James White. 
of him talking about Hebrews 2.9. Let's see. You want to hear that first or you want to talk first? Well, let's read the, read the passage. Go for it. Hebrews 2.9. Well, I got to pull it up. I wasn't ready for you there, Caleb. I'm sorry, brother. Uh, let's see here. Hebrews. I can bring it up. Do my uh, internet here. Oh, guess what? My parents got me. So I've wanted a Bible. Now, I have, my wife is upset. I, it totally, was your to- birthday. You got yeah. a Bible on your birthday. Well, this is totally off topic, but I, my, my wife is upset because I have hard copies of basically every version of the Bible that I, you can think of. You know what I mean? Like, I got an ESV study Bible. Do you, have the, do you have the New Living Bible? I do have, right there. I got it right there. <laughs> There's like not, a proverb that says, like, uh, Idle hands is the devil's playground. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they totally, but they totally butcher it. And then in the and then in the footnote it says literally, and then it has the whole verse like what it literally means. No, like, but wow. but I, I have you know ESV, NASB, uh, you know ESV Study Bible, all of the you know all the uh, NIV, New King James Study Bible, you name it. And my wife was like, you got to get these, you got to take half these Bibles to your work because they're taking up too much room. I was like, okay. So then my wife is like, what do you want for your birthday? I was like, I need a Bible that I can. And she was like, no, no more Bibles. You have enough. But I need one that I can carry around. You know what I mean? So my parents bought me a nice little ESV. I, it's, it's in the mail. I can't wait. Okay, go well, for it. Hebrews 2.9. Give it to me. Hebrews 2.9. I'll read from ESV since that's what Caleb's birthday present was. But we see him, that is Yeshua, who for – this is unpacking the psalm where it says, um, you know, made him a little lower than the angels, which in Hebrew was Elohim. But anyway, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Yeshua, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death. And then we have huper pantos, for everyone. That he yes, might for all, death. yes. For, for, for everyone. All. Yeah, for, for everyone. All. Um, and so that is our passage. So this is used sometimes. There you go. It's for all, yes. It's for all, all now, meaning you, all people. Do you want to unpack that first, or should we let James White... Uh, let's, hear, let's hear James White first. This is quite a long clip, by the way. Normally I try to keep our clips under two and a half minutes. This is three minutes and 24 seconds, so bear with Dr. White here. Once again, we have to ask a question. So you're saying that the writer of Hebrews is saying... Uh, that uh, the term translated everyone uh, here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, which is the uh, Greek term pantas, pas pasapan, uh, the standard word, and it's it, huper is, is the standard pas preposition for substitution. The, it's all- that's, that's masculine, feminine, and neuter forms of the nominative singular. So the Greek... <laughs> pas- that, that'd, be, that'd be a good pas- band pasapan. name. That'd be a good band name, Pas Pas Upon. Or that's a that's a cello riff. You're, you're going to write a song for your, your band, Pas Pas Upon. <laughs> I got to tell you, that, I mean, Pas Upon the Pas Pas Upon. Look at look at uh, you know I, I I I applaud everyone in the chat room. These guys are are uh, are battling it out from both sides of the of the fence. Uh, we're going to keep going with Doctor White here though, because I think they're handling them. Both sides are handling themselves very well. So. Get, get them, guys. Both sides. You're, you're doing wonderful. Here we go. Let's keep listening to Dr. White. Right there. So this clearly <clears throat> means that by the grace of God, Jesus has tasted death on behalf of every single human being. All right. You need to be able to consistently read that through the context. I mean, that's going to be the con- that's going to be the argument of the context, right? 
And you also might want to, to consider uh, as well, uh, is my interpretation such that it um, maybe teaches something like, oh, universalism maybe? <laughs> uh, am, I, am I, you know, maybe missing the point here? Because if you read the rest of uh, the section, there is this consistent contextual reference to a particular group. And let's see what it's, uh, that particular group is. Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. Uh, well, it can't be many sons to glory. It needs to be in bringing everyone to glory because we just established that in 2.9, uh, pas pas upon there, pantos means everyone, every every single human being. So, Maybe there's a textual variant here, because it, it shouldn't say uh, bring many sons to glory, but bring everyone to glory. Many sons is a, is a limited term. So it, it can't mean that, because that would be a specific group. Bring many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, whoever this group is, this many sons, they are the saved. Because they have... That's the founder of their salvation. Um, so, hmm. So that whoever this group is, this Pontus, the founder of the salvation was made perfectly suffering. That's Jesus, and they are sons, many sons who are brought to glory. That's what verse ten says. Let's let's see if there's anything more. For he who sanctifies. And those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Hmm. So now we have a group that is sanctified. Is there a consistent discussion of those who are sanctified in the book of Hebrews? Well, there is. Like in chapter 10, uh, by his death, he perfects those who are being sanctified. Hmm. Seems to be the same group. So whoever they are, they're perfected. So if 2.9 means every single human being, then they're all perfected, and this is a perfect, absolutely unquestionable, universalistic text. It's, there's just no, there's no way around the fact that this is a text that teaches universalism. Everybody's going to be saved. So that's what I pulled from Dr. White. And actually, my, so there was a guy who I uh, was talking about the Second Peter 3.9 passage, um, and I'd never heard of this gentleman before, but apparently he, uh, he's well known in the reform circles. He's a pastor. <clears throat> he had a 10 and a half minute teaching on second Peter three, nine, which was really, I thought was very informative. Uh, no matter which way you were, uh, you were going to lean on that issue. It seemed like his exegesis of the passage was quite good. Uh, but I didn't want to pull the whole 10 minutes and, and, uh, some odd seconds of his clip to explain. So, uh, I just pulled some of what uh, 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 I, I just pulled his key points. Why don't you go for it though on two nine? What are your thoughts on uh, on? So basically, what I'm hearing Dr. White say is that we can't just take this uh, this this word pontos, everyone or uh, all, and uh, and make it and pigeonhole it into meaning one thing because the same term is used in other places that we clearly know is not all or everyone, right? I li- I I'd like to read a section from uh, Tim Hake's commentary on Hebrews. Is that Go available now? Is that out? 
It's not out. You're getting your well. I mean, people were able to download it. Yeah, as yeah. It came so out. I think a lot of our listeners have followed along through the years, studying the, uh, getting all the study notes and everything. But basically, Tim Haig writes. Uh, I, it's really well put for everyone. That's huper pantas. Literally, on behalf of each one, pantas. The adjective pantas can be read as either masculine or neuter singular, yielding the sense of either everyone or everything. While the neuter could offer the idea that Yeshua's salvific work accrues to the restoration of all things, the new heavens and earth, the context seems clearly to favor the masculine, thus referring to people. Further, while the singular is often near, what he means there is that, it, why does it have to be people? Because the, the word people is not literally there. Literally, so it's added- you might taste death for all. In other words, for the word all. Well, is it all things? Taste death. That's what that's what Tim Higgs' point is. It's like literally, it could we could read it that it's not even talking about people. It's just for the restoration of all things. And he says, but it makes more sense to read it as a mask. That's as a neuter because as a neuter noun, it could have that uh, general. But as a masculine, referring to people. Further, while the singular is often nearly equivalent with the plural of this adjective, the singular may emphasize the individual members of the class denoted here. And he's getting into the weeds of uh, Greek grammar. Um, In the wider context, the quote, class denoted are those who are eternally saved for the following verses, each grammatically connected to our verse with the uh, particle gar. So that's in Greek that is a little word at the uh, beginning of each sentence or the second word of each sentence that connects these together, makes this clear. The suffering of death, which Yeshua underwent, was for the purpose of, as Dr. James White just, we heard, bringing many sons to glory, verse 10, sons who are further identified as brethren and who are, quote, sanctified in verse 11. Thus, for our author, those for whom Yeshua, quote, tasted death are those who are eternally saved. This same idea is reiterated in 1312, where it says that Yeshua, uh, that he might sanctify the people, through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So the word the people there is a limited class. It's not all people. Now, in 1312, it doesn't have the word all. It just says the people. But it's not all the people in the world. It's uh, a fixed uh, number. It's an elect number. Um, that I, I Between Tim Haig's comment, just that we read here, I think uh, what Dr. Um, not Dr. Brown, Dr. James White. There are all these colors, Dr. White, Dr. Brown. Um, we need like a Dr. Green in here. I think Dr. White's comments are, are well. I like his little little parodies that he puts in there. This is a very good – This is a, yeah. So this is – I'm watching the interchange in the, in, the, uh, in the chat room real quick, and, and Robert says uh, – he's made some, some uh, points of, of what he believes in terms – well, I'll read his uh, previous comment. He says, so I believe that Christ's death was limited in that it was for the church, that is, or the believers, but that anyone could become a believer. Then he says, so according to Calvinism, is all Israel saved? And Andre says, yes. Which is which is exactly right. We have to define what Israel is, because I don't believe Israel. We have to a, define not all Israel is of Israel. We need exactly. to define exactly, and, and what Paul says in Romans nine, 
Yeah, exactly. Dr. Green would be the Hulk. Okay. <laughs> He's a doctor. That's right. The Hulk is like the guy who, the guy who turns into Hulk is like a doctor, isn't he? So when we, so I want to, I just want to touch on this real quick. So uh, a bloodline of 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 those who are Jewish, and that and I'm not using this like the two housers. Okay, I see Jewish as bloodline descended from Jacob. Not all of not all of Israel is bloodline connected to to Jacob, but there are many who are part of Israel who are connected to Jacob, but there are many who aren't. Right, every nation. So Israel, that is God's chosen. Israel is God's elect. That's how I see it. Very good conversation going on in the in the uh, chat room. Oh, here, and, you know, uh, Eve. Eve just said, "Well, what about Joshua twenty four? And they're given it says choose. Well, if you look at, I guess we could go there. Have we done Joshua twenty four before? No, we're all over the place the, today. Let's the do choice it in Joshua twenty four is between idols. Let's, let's let's go look at it because I think it. Uh, some people might have this scripture. I've, I think uh, that I think that her point is that it's choice, though. Yeah, but it's, it's still, choose between which idol. <laughs> yeah, God's not in one of the words, options. In other words, he's not <laughs> he's not on the list of the choice. <laughs> because and this. <laughs> oh, good oh, point, seriously. Rob. Oh man, that's funny because we because according to because according to total deprav- depravity, we aren't able to choose God. We're only able to choose evil, right? We would never choose God. <laughs> uh, what are we looking at? Joshua twenty four. What? <laughs> it's it's it's. Uh, where is it? When yeah, he uses my... the word choose, verse four, twenty four fourteen. So fear him and serve him. It doesn't say choose. It says fear him and serve him. Right. And then it says, put aside the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates in Egypt uh, and, 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 then, and worship or serve the Lord. Again, ifdu. Um, and then at verse 15, if it's evil in your eyes to serve or be slaves of Hashem, mm-hmm. choose for yourself today who you will be slaves to. Either the the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, or no, for, or whether it be the gods of your ancestors who worship beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites. the The choice, the command to choose, is 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 between those idols or those idols. He doesn't tell him. He, he so that's a gr- should, that is that's a funny. I'm sorry. That's funny. That's a good point. <laughs> in other words, you have choice. Once again, you have choice. You don't have free will. I think that's funny. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think so you're right. Anyway, anyway, yeah. This this is important. It's important for us to be talking about this and and the scriptures. Are, of course, we want to come back to the scriptures. These are all good. These are all good <laughs> dialogues and discussions. And one of the reasons I, we've already said this, but you know, somebody asked Rob recently why why we would even talk about this kind of stuff on our show. But I think the reason why is because I do think that this affects these kind of theological beliefs affect the way that we exegete scripture and the way choice, that we believe in so, soteriology. Just be, if if the Bible says choose. That doesn't mean that the person who uh, 
is being told to choose is has the power to actually do, right? Sometimes it could be a measurement. It could be used to show, like, like the example of going to the eye doctor, and he says, okay, cover, your, you know, your, cover up your right eye with this little thing, and then read to me what's on the wall. Well, he says, read to me what's on the wall. Well, I might only be able to read this top couple lines, and then I can't see anymore, and I stop reading. So the command to read was, was so a physician could assess and so that the, the person who's sick can see their own sickness or reach down to touch your toes. And it's like, oh, I can't. My back hurts. Well, come on. Touch your toes. Dude. Touch your toes. Oh, I can't. It hurt. back hurts. Okay, so now we, we need to work on your back. Okay. I want to move to uh, – we're, we're, we're hitting on all cylinders here, which is great. Okay. L- let's move uh, to, limited, l- limited atonement. Let's go back to uh, – now, so let's just look quickly at Second Peter 3.9. I'll read it. NASB. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So this is a uh, – widely used verse, right? Um, I'll read it one, uh, one more time in the ESV because I'm going to uh, reference other uh, other passages from the ESV. So 2 Peter 3.9 in the ESV is, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So um, once again, we're looking at... Oh, I took my Greek away. Give me just a second. Um, Hebrew mounts revised. Uh, I'll use this Greek real quick. And Pontos, all of Pontos is once again used. Let's read the bigger. Can we read again like we did a little bit bigger? So if we start with verse four, go for it. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Quote. So this is a response to people saying, everything's just going on as forever, as it always has. Where's this promise? They're mocking the promise. And, then, and so in verse 5, Peter says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that uh, then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So right there, you already have in verse 7, uh, people that are going to be dest- stored up for the destruction of the ungodly. Um, so we can't uh, think you that can't these, separate. You can't separate yeah, context. Yeah. And then verse eight, he says, "But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. That's these people who are getting, you know, well, yeah, where's he? Where's his? You know, mocking that. Where's this promise? But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." But the, then we have the but, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Okay, and it goes on. The point here is that is a response to those who are mocking, in a way, they're mocking God's mercy. And it's long, in other words, God is enduring wickedness. You know, you think of things like, like it's just so, it's a paralyzing thought. You think about the number of abortions done in like America. Okay, you think about just the, the things that happen that are just heartbreaking and it's like, Lord, how can you like, until when, 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 Lord? And this idea of why has God even been as merciful as he is? Okay, but then you have, so the people crying out for for God to come and fix things, fix things and make things right. And then you have the people who are rejecting the gospel message. Oh, look, you know, you said Jesus was going to come back and he hasn't come back. And, and they're mocking. He says, look, he, what Peter here is doing is giving us a perspective so that we appreciate, look, He's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Who are those who are counting slowness? Those are the those who are mocking. But he is patient, and that all should come to repentance is the fullness of those. He's got an elect in mind, and he's going to wait, and and until and Yeshua said it. He said, unless the Lord would have what what's the statement? It's, I think it's in Matthew, except for the elect. You know that. Uh, if someone in the chat room knows it, uh, maybe you could look it up. But he says, unless that time was shortened, none would be, not, even the elect. In other words, God's mercy extends to the very edge to when the elect will be saved, and then, judge, and then judgment comes. That's, that's the picture I get. So the thing that I see in, uh, in Second Peter, okay, we have, uh, we have this verse, and as you said, it's kind of been, people take it out of context. What I see uh, and from this video, I wish I had it in the show notes, and I apologize that I don't. Maybe I can find it again and put it in next week's. Anyway, Second uh, Peter one one it says, uh, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So first of all, he's writing to a specific people. He's writing to the people who have obtained uh, a faith of equal standing with ours. Now, if you look in 2 Peter 2, 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Okay, so now we have two different, two different classes of people that, that Peter's talking about. We have the people that are on equal standing in the faith of them and the people who have rejected the Messiah. Right then in two nine, uh, and I think this is, yeah, in two nine he says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful they do not tremble, as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So you have these two different classes. Within, uh, within these two different kinds of people that, that Peter's talking about throughout his entire letter, starting all the way back in 1-1. And then as Rob has already pointed out, uh, obviously the context switches between the two once we get to 
Okay. The verse the, the verse from Matthew I was thinking is Matthew twenty four or twenty two. Or is it twenty five? Anyway, it's something twenty two. <laughs> if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. In other words, God's ju- uh, God's timing for judgment is directly related to saving the elect. Right? I mean that's that the those are connected somehow. I should okay. So um, you know, we'll maybe we'll leave the uh, the last passage, which is what First Timothy four ten is pretty much. I think that's the easiest one to understand. Or maybe we'll leave that for next week when we touch on something else. Um, you know, I should tell everyone we're going, and this is in the show notes. We're going to be disabling <clears throat> disabling comments on the YouTube page and the Vimeo page. And putting links to the Facebook, the Robin Caleb Show Facebook page, hoping that people will dialogue on the Facebook page because uh, we got all these comments that are kind of uh, going all over the place now. And so we'd like everybody to be able to see all the comments instead of having to go to three or four different places. Um, and I should tell, say this as well. You know, uh, on the YouTube page, somebody continues to accuse me of being uh, bold and uh, not humble in what I assert. I'm not sure how else I would come across uh, than to uphold what I believe. I certainly believe that there are other opinions, and uh, I certainly believe that I don't have it all figured out. There's no doubt about that. In fact, one of the reasons that Rob and I wanted to look at the doctrines of grace was not because we have it all figured out and because we want to smash people over the head with what we believe, but rather because we are uh, learning about these doctrines of grace ourselves. We're trying to investigate uh, deeper what we believe, why we believe it, and we're trying to do it from the Scriptures. Uh, we're trying to look at Scripture and the various arguments that have gone on through history. Uh, someone called me the other day and uh, was asking some very pointed questions about the doctrines of grace, the fall of man, and, and uh, predestination, these kind of things. And uh, I certainly felt, felt ill-equipped to answer all the questions uh, because I, you know, uh, whereas my father has has dealt with these things for you know uh, thirty five years more than I have, he seems to have uh, a very good handle on these things. I have recently come into a belief and an understanding of the doctrines of grace, and I came from a view of free will, uh, and so it, for me, I'm I'm going on this journey not to try to uh, <clears throat> to explain to others necessarily. Uh, exactly what's right or wrong, but rather to learn for myself uh, the doctrines that I believe the the Bible has put forward. And it took a couple of key changing points in my theology to understand that I, you know, what I believe. Uh, And now um, looking at the whole picture of the people who have come before me in uh, the theological realm, uh, it's it's interesting to see how all of this connected for them. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, so I, I humbly come before uh, the listening audience, which is always a wonder to Rob and I, how we have people listening to this show. Um, but we humbly come before our listening audience not to try to, uh, to bully anyone or anything like that. In fact, I'm very uh, – I, I, I'm not positive. I think Robert's not the only person in the chat room today who's upholding a free will model. And that's actually uh, that's actually good in terms of I think it's good for our chat room to have diversity, to be able to flush out some of the ideas and some of the uh, 
some of the things that we were talking about. So uh, it's encouraging to me to see uh, people uh, be able to dialogue and do it in a respectful way. Right, uh, real else? quick, on, on yeah. The, yeah, on the idea of free will, because I noticed it seems like people are thinking they want, you know, uh, to have the free will idea. And just to, to explore that a little bit, if we look to this idea of when God gives a command and he empowers, some, he empowers its fulfillment— for example, let's let's just look at what we talked about earlier, Yeshua and uh, Lazarus. So Lazarus is dead and in the grave, right? And he says, he commands Lazarus to, to rise. Okay, so there's a command. Now, granted, it's not the it's not the command choose, but it's the command. Um, I mean, if we looked it up specifically. I guess we should see exactly what the what the uh, command is because I, did, I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> How dare but, you! <laughs> but but Yeshua give Yeshua provides the the power, right? Yeshua provides the power for Lazarus to obey. He he says here it is. It's uh, John eleven. 43. Wow, this is powerful. But anyway, the whole section, so read all of uh, John 11 if you haven't lately. But he says, when he said these things, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Right? And this is, this is, this is an imperative. Come out. And then it says, verse 44, the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Okay, there's a, there's a place where someone, this is the picture of our dead, we're dead in trespasses and sins. So when Yeshua says, repent and believe, if he, along with that command, Lazarus, come out. He gives the power, he awakens by the Holy Spirit, by his authority, for, for Lazarus to get up and walk out of the tomb. Lazarus wasn't, wasn't in a situation to do anything, to obey any command. But he did it because, because Messiah worked it in him to do what Messiah was commanding him to do. I could go to a dead body and say, get up, and the person's not going to get up. You know? I mean, that's, that, uh, another, here's another example, is Peter in the boat, Right? So they, they're in the, they see Yeshua walking on the water. Freaks them out. Yeshua says, this is in Ma- Ma- uh, Matthew 14, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, here you go, do not be afraid. It means they're already afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me, call to me, command to me uh, to come to you on the water. He says, come, elfe, which is a command form. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. But then what happens? We know this story. As, he looks as, away. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he starts sinking, and then he's, Lord, save me. Okay. See, but these are, but, these but, are but, pictures of our, these are pictures of when, when Messiah gives a command, repent and believe, he provides not only the power for his elect to obey, but they also learn the lesson of discipleship. They learn when they take their eyes off of him, 
they start going back the other way again, and then they cry out for salvation again. They cry out, Lord, I can't do this. I need you. I'm, well, apart from you, I can do nothing. That's, this is, Yeshua gives a command, and he gives the power to do it. So when, when Moses says, choose life, these are the words of the living God, choose life, that doesn't mean everybody who hears the word choose life has the power to choose life. It doesn't mean that. It, only, it, it, it is only those whom he gives, the, when the, his word goes forth and affects. It's just like when Yeshua talks about the sowing of the seed, right? The four different kinds. Some fall on the, uh, is the second one, falls on the ground, and it, it sprouts up quickly, but then it fades away in the, in the sun. And then he explains what that means. It means that they hear and they believe for a while, and, the, and they receive the word with joy. But then, but when stuff happens, when the rubber meets the road, persecutions, this is the sun beating down on it, fades away because it has no root in itself. Yeshua has to provide, he provides not only the command, but he provides the ability to obey. That is what we're talking about. So if I come after the fact, it's almost like Peter then going and boasting, yeah, I walked on the water. (laughs) Yeah, I, and he doesn't tell him about the part where he was crying out. Well. Save, you know, he says, yeah, I walked on the water. And it's like, you know, no, you didn't choose to walk on the water. Yeshua, this whole thing, was so that you could learn. It's by his grace that he would, he would teach you your dependence on him. Lazarus didn't, can't go around boasting that he rose from the dead or that he obeyed Yeshua. Yeah, Yeshua commanded me to get up and come out of the tomb. And I thought, yeah, I guess... It's kind of stinky in here. No, it was, it was the Spirit of God in him working out the ability to obey. And that's what I believe is the new covenant. That's what the new covenant, new life and issue is all about. We're going to keep going with this next week. We will talk about, let's see, I, Tulip, you, no, how do they spell it? Yeah, I. Um, okay, anyway. Well, yeah, IP. So, I. Anyway, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed it. Man. The uh, chat room has just been ablaze today. No, I'm, I'm bummed that I missed out on all the good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot going really, on in the I chat room. I love the back and forth, and I hope the people that don't subscribe to Tulip are, are still willing to, to Oh, interact. I love it. Yeah, thank yeah, you so great. much, guys. It's good, to, it's good to have both sides in here, and we sure do appreciate those who believe in a free will model or aren't convinced one way or the other. We sure do appreciate you guys getting in here and and giving everybody a run for their money because it, uh, I think iron sh- sharpens iron, right? So we really appreciate it. All right. Happy uh, late 4th of July to every- everyone. And until next time, we hope that we will see you back here when we try to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs> <laughs>